You're on with Barbara. Hey, 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 it's me, Barbara Corcoran, and this is 888-BARBARA. That's right, it's time to answer all your burning questions. From the boardroom to the bedroom, nothing is off limits. So listen up for some advice on how to live your best life. Each week, I'll be answering all your burning questions, and sometimes I'll be asking them too, interviewing some of the greatest folks I know to learn the secrets of their success so I can share them with you. Today we have with us Teresa Caputo. You probably know her as the Long Island Medium. She's going to share with us how she handles this gift she has, or I might even call it a superpower. She talks to dead people. Let's hear what it's all about. Teresa, I'm almost frightened to sit here with you. I'm afraid you're going to call my mom, dad in. They're going to yell no. at me from the past or something. Nothing Absolute, like that? At nothing like that. Okay, nothing so that's like off that. limits. Just for the information off here, limits. it's off limits. Okay. Tell me what a medium really is, uh, because a lot of people have their own idea about what a medium is or isn't. What do you do, and can you really talk to dead people? I have the ability to sense and feel our departed loved ones. You know, people always say, you psychic. I don't predict the future. I don't want people's loved ones telling them what they should or shouldn't do with their life decisions and choices. From a very young age of four, I've had the ability to sense and feel things that nobody else was in the room, and I was. Mm -hmm. So I can remember a clear vision at four years old, always seeing a woman standing at the end of my bed. Wow, it's freaky. But to me, that was normal. But as a four-year-old, you're laying in your bed at night and you see somebody at the foot of your bed. I would think any child would be frightened to death. That didn't frighten you? Remembering it at that time? No, at that exact moment. But my mom would say that I would wake up with blood-curdling screams and like somebody was literally attacking me and there would be no one in my room. I didn't sleepwalk. I would just get up and would just have extreme anxiety and felt like I needed to get out of that room, out of that bed, and I just didn't want to be in there. And you actually remember that as a child. I remember that, that as a child. Extreme fear. Yes. That, Were they bad people in your room, whoever was no, hanging out at your bed? No. What I found out later in life, it was my great-grandmother who had passed before I was even born. Oh, my gosh. That was the first soul that I can remember seeing. And I would never communicate with her. I would always just see her and feel her. When you were feeling her and waking up with a scream and being so frightened as a four-year-old, were you actually thinking there was someone there to harm you or was it a good energy or was it simply you were afraid because you didn't understand what was going on? I didn't understand what was going on. Who did you tell? I would just say this, someone in my, my parents. Did she think you're crazy, your mom? No, because I come from a very spiritual and a strong faith family. My brother still tells the story of one night that I convinced my parents that there was a man looking in my window with big green eyes, that at like three o'clock in the morning, he had my dad out there on the ladder on the roof and my brother, and it turned out to be my neighbor's cat. No way. (laughs) I swear. (laughs) Hardly a psychic phenomenon, I say. What I was sensing and feeling was real. And I can feel that watching over. But no one ever really made a big deal about things that I would say. I might bring up people that have died in the past, or I would just say things. And nobody ever really made a big deal about it. They just embraced it. So you had the perfect family to welcome your difference. I did. Which you can't say about a lot of families. No. You might have just as easily been labeled a freak of some kind. I say that all the time. I might have been diagnosed maybe with schizophrenia Mm. or some other type of disorder if I was with a different family. I say this all the time also. 
I know my path has been chosen and this is my soul's destiny because I feel that I've lived a very privileged life. And when I say privileged, I don't mean by financial means, privileged to have a loving and supportive family. Of course. I only lost my grandparents within the past 10 years. So I was well into my 40s, still having my grandparents here. I still live right next door to my parents and I'm 52. (laughs) Even though Wikipedia says I'm 53. Don't believe everything you read. Tell me specifically about the dead people. Are they happy to be dead? I've always wondered. This is, again, one of the misconceptions that people have of what I do, that they show me the other side, that I have this untold vision or story about heaven or what the souls of the departed do. Special access, maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It all came through the process of me accepting who God intended me to be here in the physical world, my soul's journey. Mm -hmm. Because growing up, I never felt complete. I always felt that there was something missing. Mm. And I share this part of my story because I found out a lot of people might feel that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's with a relationship, a job, or they just feel something's missing deep within their soul. And it wasn't until I embraced my gift is when I felt complete. Mm -hmm. That's how I know that it's my destiny. So I struggled with why was I chosen? What am I supposed to do with this? Who's going to want to come and see a medium and speak to their relatives that have died? And this happened when, Teresa? When you were a kid, you accepted this or you were already grown up? I was grown. It was later in my 20s. Raising a family. Raising a family. I just had my daughter, Victoria. And you had continued to have different spirits welcome themselves into your life. And then you finally said one day, hey, This is a gift. I should do something more with it and bring it to other people. Yes, because I didn't realize how life-changing it was. Mm. And how were you using it up until then? I wasn't using my gift. I was blocking it. Well, certainly the spirits were still visiting or you were locking them out I was blocking them out and I was ignoring what I was sensing and feeling. Mm. So if a spirit wanted to visit you, for example, even back in that chapter of your life, they don't bang down the door. They don't say, let me in or I'm going to kill you. Or something like that. They just will graciously leave if they're not welcomed. Right. Like I would just not answer them or acknowledge their presence. What happens is I start to feel certain things. Mm -hmm. And then where the spirit pushes me enough to get me to say something is when I know when to proceed with what I'm sensing and feeling. I I just want you to understand why I also chose to do what I do. I found out from sensing I had gone to a spiritual awareness class to learn how to relax. I had a lot of extreme anxiety. I couldn't leave my house. I'm empathic, so I feel how other people feel. I feel the soul, how they died, what they want to communicate to their loved one. Just walking around the street. So you go to your local delicatessen, and if that gentleman lost his father five years ago, suddenly that dad's behind the counter too, and you're feeling their messaging coming out. Well, when I walked in this room, I felt that there was a father figure in this room. I had laboring of the breathing in my chest, which means that they pass from something of the chest, whether Mm. if it was a heart attack, could be lung cancer. Sometimes if someone drown, I will feel like I fill up with fluid. Maybe someone was murdered or tragic departure. I'll feel like I taste blood. Oh my God. Um, It's just for like a split second. But I've learned through over the years how to channel and to communicate then to the person that it is their loved one. And more importantly, that the soul is at peace. So why I chose what I do is because I learned that people are left with burdens and guilts. They're left with a should have, could have, would have, and an only if. None of these things that I've ever been left with. That's why I shared with you before, I'm very privileged of not having to go through a tragedy, Mm. losing someone at a very young age, 
So when I channel and when I read someone, I can't have an opinion. Mm. I can't have a personal thought, feeling, or emotion. And it was validated on, I don't know if you noticed, I was on Dr. Oz. Where, of course, yes. And Dr. Raymond, where they read my brain as I was reading someone. And they say my brain literally like flatlines. Mm. How do you do that to yourself, though? In other words, you sense the spirit? No, It just you happens. Just... It's who I am. I don't know how I do it, how I don't do it. Mm-hmm. I just know when to say something, when not to say something. Not every spirit has to have a positive message, or are those the only spirits you hear from? When, what about the bad guy that wants to say something negative? Do you hold that to yourself and opt not to well, share that? spirit's not allowed to. When I put my gift in the universe's hands and I said, if this is my soul's journey, place me the path and the opportunities and I will follow. I only want good things. If it can help someone or prevent something, then I don't want to know about it. But can negative news help someone to get a negative message, something explained so, that's negative? I'll use this as an example if this will answer your question. I remember doing a live show. This young woman was murdered by her boyfriend and I'm channeling her to her mother. You know, she's saying she's at peace. She described what she looked like, how beautiful she was because the mother had visions of the way that her physical body was left. And that's how she was visualizing her daughter. How would I know that? I wouldn't know that. Mm -hmm. So the daughter's having me deliver this message. And I said to her, your daughter wants me to deliver a message from someone else, but I can't see him. I can't get any messages directly from him, which is my symbol for that his soul isn't at a plane with God in Mm -hmm. God's white light. But he wants to apologize and want you to know that he does know and is remorseful and knows what he took from you, your most precious gift, your daughter. And that boyfriend had already passed away? He committed suicide after he killed her. But I couldn't directly sense his energy because he wasn't in positive light yet. And the mother said, I came here wanting to know if he was remorseful and if he knew what he took from me. Wow. So you were able to help that poor mother move on? Her daughter's soul. I was just the vessel that the daughter used. You know, when they say, do you deliver negative messages? I'm channeling someone's loved one. Maybe they died tragically. Maybe they were murdered. Maybe they lost their child to cancer or they feel that they weren't properly taken care of by doctors or in a hospital. That is negative. Mm. So I have a hard time when people say things about negative messages. Real people saying something negative about the message and you're able to give them peace by reinterpreting what really happened or how they should or shouldn't feel. Right. But it's always in the positive light. What if you get something negative? Let's say you get a spirit who's pissed off and wants to be heard. Do you just turn that away? Do you keep it to yourself? Do you feel obligated to share it with someone? I've never what had happens? that. They will make me feel how they felt before they died. Anger, frustration because of an illness, but that is never their message or their intent as mm. they channel. So their intent also paralleling your own is to bring peace. Yes. Do you believe that all ghosts or spirits or however you might want to describe them have positive energy when they go yonder and they come back as peaceful people? Because there's a lot of bad people in life. A thousand percent. How the soul chooses to re-enter, that's a different story. What do you mean by that? I've done past life regressions. I don't know if some people refer to it as reincarnation however you want to interpret it, where our souls have had many different journeys here in the physical world. So you will interpret what that last journey might have looked like? Right. Time and time again, it happens where maybe a husband will come through and they're speaking to their wife and saying, I see now from the other side 
how terrible I was to you, how I never told you how much I loved you or how much I appreciate everything that you did for me, how you cared for me. And Mm. for that, I am sorry. And then the woman in front of me is breaking down and saying, that's exactly how I feel. He would say mean things to me before he died. He would throw his food at me, would yell at me, but it was the illness. It was the frustration. So now she would be beating herself up here in the physical world. I could have done better. What could I have done differently? And not being able to heal. At the end of the day, every message that spirit has me deliver, it has to deliver peace. Give something that that person is holding on to that is holding them back from healing. Teresa, do you think those messages of peace are because they're coming through you as a medium and that's who you are, or do you think all the spirits out there that have passed on have peace? Is that part and parcel of being a spirit? From what spirit has told me is that when the soul leaves the physical body, they immediately leave behind disabilities, ailment, hatred behind. When a soul comes through and apologizes, that means that the soul had to relive their life through our eyes Mm. to feel what it was like for their choices and decisions on how it affected us, how it hurt us. So that is how they're able to come through and apologize. Okay. Now I want to ask you, how do you ignore a voice? Let's say you're going shopping, you have your normal chores to do, you have your laundry list, you want to get Mm -hmm. it done, and everywhere you go, you're feeling a spirit. There's got to be tons of them floating around. What do you do to ignore them? Do you lock them out? Well, you also have to understand not everyone might need to hear from their loved one. Well, let's say you're by yourself and you're not counseling anyone. You're not doing a reading of any Mm -hmm. kind. You're just walking down the street and you see a spirit sitting on a stoop. I don't see the way we see here in the physical world. It's Mm. more through a feeling. I just sense. So I can feel a presence. For example, years ago, I can remember I was in Bloomingdale's and I was at the counter And all of a sudden, I smelt a big woof of gardenias. I'm standing there, and all of a sudden, this woman is standing next to me. I look over, and the smell gets stronger. And then I hear, please tell my daughter how much you love her perfume. Wow, that's spooky. So now, I don't say anything. I wait, and the woman turns to me, and she says, it's so hard to pick out a new scent when you've been wearing one for so long, right? And I'm like, yeah. I said, oh, by the way, I said, I love your perfume. It smells like gardenias. And she looked at me, and she started crying, and she said, I'm wearing my mom's perfume. Today's her birthday, and when she was alive, I would yell at her. Stop wearing that stinky perfume. <laughs> so I wore her perfume today in honor of my mom. Woman didn't know that I was channeled, that I heard tell my daughter how much you love her perfume or how pretty it is, right? And I have to have that conversation. So I was able to deliver a message in a way that it just wasn't like, hey, your mom passed, she's here, and she wants you to know something. These are the things that what I realize that people go over after time and time again of the little things that they hold on to and that they remember after the loss of a loved one. Do you remember you were in my office for your show and you were feeling the spirit of both my mother and father here? I remember much of the detail of that afternoon Mm -hmm. that we spent, but what's so shocking to me, I remember, is that you ended by saying that there had been a tree planted, and my mother was so happy about the tree. You floored me, knowing that after my mother passed from Alzheimer's, she was sick so long, and you said a red tree, which was a Japanese maple, which is Mm -hmm. red, uh, that you were able to tell me that 
detail. Mm -hmm. It was spellbounding. How are you able to get not just the, the spirit that's relaying messages to their loved ones, but how are you able to collect that kind of detail that, in my mm -hmm. mind, brought so much credibility to everything else you were saying? Because that's one of my requirements for spirit. I've learned that there are a lot of common things. I'm the first one to say that what I do is crazy. Anyone can say what spirit has me say. And there are common burdens and guilts that we carry, common ways people die. But with every healing message that they have me deliver, they have to validate it with something unique to the person that they're speaking to. So that the person you're speaking to or relaying the message to right. believes you. Right. So important. Spirit knows when I give a speech or when I do my little mental preparation, they know when I'm ready to communicate. My rules are I need to feel the bond and relationship that they shared with the person. Mm -hmm. I need to know how they died. This is all in my preparation of when I read somebody. I see. Well, you know you had the experience. You didn't ask me anything. No, I didn't. Right? But you sure told me a lot. Your loved ones told you. Yes, well said. But it, it seemed to have such credibility because of the amount of detail you gave Correct. me. Correct. Yeah. But that's what they have to do. So with every healing message, they have to validate it with something so unique that there's no way I would know about, could find out about it. I'm on the cusp now of trying to do an interview with you and trying to block out things that I sense and feel. Mm -hmm. Because this is also what happens. I walk into a room and immediately spirit either starts coming or people know who I am and they start asking their loved ones, oh, this is an opportunity. Please step forward. Mm. So when you were sharing the story to me before about seeing the tree planted, I kept seeing a quarter. That's my symbol for where someone carries something of their departed loved ones with them. Maybe it's a quarter. Maybe it's a key. It's something that their loved one carried or they carry in memory of them. A lot of times it is changed. Or someone did have a coin collection. But there is that male figure, that father figure. So whether if it's a grandfather, someone's father could be an uncle that was like a father to them. The laboring of the chest is my symbol for that they pass from something of the heart, lungs, or chest, and then there is also something about change. As I'm talking to you, that's what I see. I see flashes of things, and I just sense and then feel other things. Yeah. Teresa, how do you get alone time? How do you find peace? How do you click off and just honestly have a normalcy of any kind in your life? I'm just starting to learn that. How do you do that? I started by starting to really take care of myself. It's a hard thing because I think we look at things as a selfishness or being selfish or self-absorbed, right? Mm. I've learned that I deserve quiet time. I deserve peace. And I think spirit also realizes that because I'm always channeling, whether I'm filming for Long Island Medium or doing a live show, I'm always channeling. I'm always exhausting. And it's interesting on how over the years, spirit has learned how to kind of step aside a little bit. Because They're you not, needed it yourself. I need it. So you dictated that with your own thought. I think they saw it and realized that it was becoming very taxiing. On I make what I do look very easy. It's the hardest thing that I have to do is to feel someone's emotions, a pain, a sorrow, a loss, and a grief. And then in the next moment, have me do something to give them the gift of laughter. That mm. is one thing, another thing that I require them to do because that is the best medicine for the soul. You mean you require that the spirit give you something yes. funny to get their loved ones laughing about? Or just a smile. Yeah, of course. It's the greatest gift. But then how do you really chill out? You have a whole afternoon where you don't have any spirits visiting. Sometimes I'll just sit and I'll just like binge watch like friends I'll just literally go in my bed and just lay down and just close my eyes for five, not take a nap, mm 
but just kind of, you know, think about things that I want to accomplish or let go of any type of stresses, even if it's just like for two or three minutes. And you just taught yourself that recently I taught myself in your life. Recently. And what caused that to happen? Why that life change? It's a big one. I realized that it's important. You know, after losing my grandparents, my grandmother was just gone 10 years, my grandfather five. My life was so busy and hectic and crazy. Realizing with me being away, how important family is and how I can't be good to anyone else. I think it hit me one time when I was flying, you know, and I, and I fly or travel all the time. And the flight attendant said, and you hear it over and over, put your mask on so you can help someone else. Mm-hmm. And I said to myself, that should be a rule of thumb in everyday life. Well said. I am no good to no one else if I am at my weakest moment or if I'm not 100%. And I think after doing that, I'm recently divorced, going through that and grieving my 33 years with Larry. I just felt that things needed to change for me. Mm. So you think and, having and I think experienced self-care- that divorce turned a page in your life where you said, I've got to take care of myself. This is too stressful. I, I think it was everything. I just felt that there were so many changes and why not continue positive changes? Mm. And I think that we only take care of ourselves when we're sick. Think about it. When do you go to the doctor? When you're not feeling good, right? So I think it's important to kind of nip that in the bud beforehand. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the healing process. Sometimes when I look at how someone's life changed because of the loss of a loved one and the choices that they made because of a burden or guilt that they carried, how different their life could have been shaped And I think I see that a lot when I go to the prison and do readings for some inmates, their choices, and it stems back to the loss of a loved one. And to be able to give them that peace and, you know, a little bit of hope. To have the strength to even do it in the first place, to Mm -hmm. welcome that into your life. I think we're all meant to be here in the physical world to do special and amazing things. I want to get back to being married to Larry for 33 years. You come through a long divorce, it felt like to me. I don't know whether it was to you. What do you learn from divorce and the breaking of a long, loving relationship? What did you get out of that? Anything good? You know, I learned that I don't have not one regret. And the respect that Larry and I have for each other and where we are today, where we were at the end of our marriage, is so much better. To be able to realize that, you know, you've grown in different directions or you want different things in life Mm -hmm. or simply just not happy anymore. I still love Larry. He's the father of my children. Did you have spirits like your grandparents, your mother giving you advice from yonder on to what to do there? Nothing like that. Can you call help when you want it for yourself? I always ask for the higher power. I personally call on God. I believe in God. That's another whole topic. But, but not your grandparents. They don't come in. You don't call them up and say, come to me. Give I me would, some advice here. What I do in prayer, meditation, I always look for guidance. I put out there and I always ask the universe to guide me. Mm-hmm. I will get messages just like everyone else, signs and symbols. Is this the right choice? Am I making the right decisions? These are my free will choices, but I would always get that validation, whether it be if I would find a white feather. Mm. Some people find white feathers. Some people find shit. Hear that song on the radio. Get that validation that I know that spirit is guiding me and that I am making the right choices and decisions. I also do feel when I am guided in a way that I shouldn't be going, things do happen or put me at a halt. 
You mean from the other world from, from or the your other own side. better judgment or second guessing situation? No, I think situation? spirit plays a part in that as well. What do you say to people who say that the work you do is not credible, that you're a kook, that there can't be any credence in right. anything you're doing? What do you say to those hardcore cynics? My first thing is always, I get it. I'm the first one to say that what I do is crazy. But mm-hmm. speak to someone that has had the experience. So you call in a witness, an expert witness. People have a right to their own opinion. Mm-hmm. And I do get what I do is crazy. But it can't change the fact that the things that spirit had me say to someone, mm-hmm. and if it changed their life in a positive way, why would someone want to take that from them? Because people uh, use their left brain to figure a lot out. So I could picture someone analyzing it very readily because I have that in me too. I go both ways. Sure. Saying this doesn't make any sense. It's an illogical, can't possibly be. There's no spirit there talking to me. This lady's a kook. Okay, so take that person. Is there a way you can then call their father or grandparent into the scene and say, oh, yeah, you think I'm a kook? Well, your grandfather is here, and he said you should have never stolen that car from the showroom. <laughs> could you, could like, put them in bed, like, just that, so close them down. If they were open to it, I will never push my gift. I will never use my gift to prove or try to defend my gift in any way, shape, or form. Well, you're a much bigger woman than I. You know what I would do? I would immediately look for a spirit to call them out and put them in their place. I would be so annoyed. Yeah. Truly is an honesty, Barbara. When I say I get it, I understand why someone would critique that or criticize or be a skeptic. I get it. But- in the past, I have then asked them, well, have there been times where, and then sometimes I might see something mm-hmm. like, oh, do you ever see the same time on the clock all the time? Or are you waking up every night at 3 a.m. for no reason? And these are also sometimes signs and symbols that we don't put together that it's our loved one. May I ask you, I wake up faithfully every night at 3 a.m. What does that mean? I just want a little- Do you think that that was a coincidence that I said that? I saw 3 a.m. And when I say waking up the same time for no reason, or seeing the time the same time, it could be the same thing. Because sometimes people don't wake up at what the What does exact- that mean? I'd like to get rid of it, frankly. Why we wake up, and this is from what spirit has told me, is during- uh, Wait, wait, wait. My spirit who's here or a spirit? I did see your mother energy. Okay. When we wake up at a specific time, we have teaching hours. It's when our minds are at rest. That is the best way that we're able to connect with spirit on our own is when our mind is at rest. So it's the same thing like if you get in the car and you're going about your day, you turn the radio on, you change the channel and a song comes on, old song Mm. that was your loved one's favorite and you're not playing it on purpose, not a coincidence that it's on. It's almost like spirit's energy getting you to do things, getting you to recognize things. Spirit refers to in the middle of the night as our teaching hours. So who's trying to teach me at 3 a.m.? I'm annoyed. They might not be teaching you something. It could just be a validation that their soul is present. Do your kids have the same gift you have, any of your children? Yes. How do they deal with that? It's different, though. My son has a very good intuition. My daughter is a little bit more like me where she senses and feels the soul's energy and things like that. And your daughter is how old? She's 25 now. Do you think she'll follow in your footsteps and share that gift? She's had it with her psychic She will share information, like if she feels things around someone, but she does not take it to the level that you that's do. not her calling. Yeah. Yeah. May I ask you one question? Cause you're in an unusual position, always speaking with spirits. Are you afraid of death? Not anymore. And what happened that you're not anymore because of the reading? Because of what I do. Happened? I know there's something more like my first book. There's more to life than this. Mm-hmm. I know that we're greeted by our departed loved ones on the other side. Departed souls have described the moment that their soul leaves the physical body of what happened. And people will say, that's exactly what happened. How would you know that? 
My mm. mom was reaching and calling out for her brother. So that gives you tremendous credibility if you're able to tell someone that when your mother was on her deathbed, she was reaching out for your brother. And that individual has to give you credibility for that. Okay, I believe you. My whole thing also is, and I'm not trying to be rude, people could say whatever they want about me. I don't care. And if I did care, I wouldn't be where I am today. You're a tough cookie. I'm sure people could say what they want. It's hurtful. Really? You're hurt people, by that? Well, it bothers me that people have that in them, that they feel the need to be mean, especially on social media. When mm. I post a picture with me and my daughter, do you have to comment that my daughter is fat? that my daughter gained weight or that you think that I shouldn't wear my hair this way. There's no need for that. Uh, it's like just, once they pass it's on, they're all going to be nice people anyway from yeah. what you said today. Well, I hope they learn from that. They'll have to relive. If they left someone with a burden or a guilt, they have to relive that so they can feel what it was like for their actions on how it made other people feel. Mm, got it. Teresa, we're going to take phone calls now. Sure. Okay. I can't wait to hear the advice you give <laughs> because your headset is so different than mine. We're going to take a few phone calls. Okay. Help some folks out as best we okay. can. Hi, Barbara. My name is Amelia and I'm calling from Florida. You said that self-doubt is one of the worst things to have, you know, as an entrepreneur. And I've been slowly starting a company um, for the past two years. It's gone slow due to a lot of kind of personal issues and upheavals, including divorce and infertility and things like that. And kind of because things haven't worked out in other parts of my life, part of me is really doubting whether or not this company can also work out. So I don't know how to get rid of this self-doubt. Thanks for sending in your question, Amelia. And you are double dipping today and having a very unusual advice from Teresa Caputo. I feel so lucky. Hi. Oh, hi, Amelia. We listened to your question and Teresa is going to speak to you first. So, Amelia, I first like to say that self-doubt, whether as an entrepreneur or just a human being, I think is one of the worst things that we can do to ourselves. You know, beating ourselves up. You don't think for a minute, I thought my career of talking to dead people, like how was I going to do this and roadblocks that might come my way or how people would try to put me down what Barbara and I were just discussing before. I never, ever allowed any of those things to deteriorate my soul, make me feel like not to believe in myself. And I know it is hard. You know, I recently divorced as well. You're starting your life over and when things just don't work out in so many different parts of your life, but none of these right. things are your fault. Okay. You know, we can take responsibility for certain choices that we make. The number one thing is you cannot beat yourself up at all. It should be the opposite. You should be giving yourself, okay, well, I've had this opportunity. This is what I've learned from that. It didn't work out. Take what you've learned from that and then apply it in moving forward. Okay. Thank you. Amelia, I want to ask you a couple of questions. You threw out the words, and I think I'm quoting you right when you say, due to a lot of personal issues, including divorce and infertility and things like that. It almost made it sound like divorce and infertility were not a big deal. Two questions I have. One, how does divorce and infertility come together? Usually people are having infertility problems, struggle to, to have children when they're with someone. You were trying to have children, I assume, and then you became divorced. After that, is that how it goes? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's how it went. And at the same time, I had worked a long time on Wall Street. I'm mm -hmm. in a very high-pressured job, which mm -hmm. I enjoyed the actual work of it. It was trading and sales. That's where I worked for 17 years for major banks and hedge funds, a big career. 
than foreign exchange. You know, I enjoyed it, the actual work, but, you know, as you rise higher and higher through the bank, it's just so political and the fights, you know, it was kind of all the turmoil was on the work front, the home front, and then the health issues too, just all came to a head at the same time. So Mm. I think that was what was hardest for me was every area of my life was hit at the same time. Mm. And that's where the discouragement came from. Well, Amelia, I'm going to relabel what you are labeling as self-doubt. I don't think uh, that's the issue. I think the issue is exhaustion. Were you successful in having a child? No. How long were you struggling with that? You were going through in vitro and all of that stuff? Yeah, I was going through the process, but the results were very, very bad. So we decided not to move ultimately forward with that because Mm -hmm. on doctor's recommendations, so it's just a a process of testing and retesting and deciding, you know, what you want to do to move forward. We decided we couldn't move forward with the process. It just wasn't going to work. It was going to be a a multi-year battle, which would possibly not have good results at all, possibly catastrophic health results. That's when I decided to divorce. There had been a lot of ongoing issues that had been pushed to the side as well and delayed having a child because of this big career. So, Okay. I'm going to paint a different picture of your own life the way I'm seeing it, okay? So you're in a tremendously stressful, well-paid, I'm sure, position in the financial field, which is probably the toughest industry, I believe, and doubly tough for a woman to succeed in. But there you are slugging it out. You decide you're going to leave and start your own business. And at the same time, you're going to address such a large life issue to be a mother and to go through all of the roadblocks through the testing. I know I've been there myself before I had my son, Tommy, thank God, a miracle. But to go through all the emotional strain of that concern, totally emotionally exhausting. And at the same time, start a new business, which is like giving birth to a child that needs to be fed, loved, and picked up out of bed every morning of your life. All right. I would say you were expecting yourself to be a superwoman. And then on top of that, for an unhappy ending and another totally emotionally exhausting thing to deal with in life, you go through a divorce. As pleasant as it could have been, it's always emotionally draining. Yeah, no, for sure. For you to actually expect yourself to be not self-doubting, and I don't think it's self-doubting, it's exhaustion, that it's impossible for you to handle all three of those balls in short order in the air almost at the same time. My hat's off to you, but I think you're a nut job just to even (laughs) approach that. I definitely underestimated, you know, Wall Street was such plow forward, plow forward, compete, 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 because on the trading floor, what you make every day is who you are, basically, you know, and you can be fired at any time. It's kind of like a price on your head, the pressure to perform. And so being used to that environment for so many years, I had underestimated, severely underestimated my ability to just plow through things when my personal life was in turmoil. And then I realized I wasn't able to do that. It's a totally different kind of plowing. Here's the difference, okay? You were in your field for all those years accustomed to dealing with and living with high pressure and taking it as it came. The infertility struggle is start that you can't succeed in from the beginning. It's a stop sign that you're trying to plow through. It's not like you get a little out of time and you get used to the pressure. No, it's not that kind of thing. It's a new start. Then a divorce is a new ending. Okay. And a business is a new start. So it's birthing versus maintaining hugely different. And 
doing it all at the same time. Let me ask you a question about your business, if I may. What kind of business are you in now and how long have you been in business? I've been in business just under two years. There's obviously been a lot of stops and starts as I put it to the side for periods of time to Mm. just focus on healing and, and my personal life and kind of moving on. But um, my business is geared to the retail investor. So it provides trading and financial market education and strategy to the individual investors. And is it just you? Do you have a partner you work with in some regard? No, it's just me. Mm. But you know what I say? I say you are expecting way, way, way too much Mm -hmm. of yourself too soon. What do you think, Teresa? I think it it all stemmed back to what I first said. She's putting way too much pressure on herself and beating herself up for things that isn't even in her control. What can she do to help heal. Self-care is the first thing. And knowing that she was not solely responsible for a lot of things. Look, if you go to work every day and you don't trade and you don't do, you're late, you're, you're taking off too much time. That's where you would take responsibility. But as far as a marriage and infertility, and it takes two. No one is solely responsible for something in that well, in, in this situation. to her starting her business by herself? She decided to do that, got it off the ground, has been working it for two years. Who is responsible if not her? That's not really the sole issue right here. The sole issue is her. The sole and, issue and is exhaustion. Exhaustion and her putting her own personal needs on the back burner. But I think she's getting it. You're finally starting to see things a little differently. Is that correct, Amelia? Yeah, I'm starting to see things differently. Well, we were just talking about before, we have to take care of ourselves first Mm -hmm. so we can take care of everything else in our life. Yeah. I've spent some time now outside of New York City because I had lived there, you know, for Mm -hmm. 18 years. And Mm -hmm. so that was good to just regain new perspective by going somewhere else a little bit to change focus. So that helped because, you know, it's so type A and alpha. Oh, yeah. I was so into Wall Street there that you need a break, I think, from that. Can you take a break from your new business? I kind of have off and on, you know, I started with a new relationship now, which is really good. So I wanted to put time and effort into that because my whole career basically was putting time and effort in my career and not putting time and effort into my personal life. So it's kind of a new phase, which is kind of strange to be an entrepreneur during that phase when you have a different life phase and you just want to put time and effort into your personal relationships now. I want to say I'm not so career focused because I feel like that's what's best for me. But that's such a weird thing to say as an entrepreneur when you're starting your company, when I feel like everything's about the company and your sole focus should be the company. So I guess that's where I struggle first as an entrepreneur, because I did that my whole 17 year career and I don't want to do it again. I want to have more space in my life for the you know, important people. Amelia, I would suggest that if you're putting your new business on and off, on and off like that, it will not work. And so you might as well get off that horse and take a break for yourself to focus on the relationship, whatever else you're going to do to shore yourself up and heal Mm -hmm. and then decide what you want to do. I think that business is probably a potentially good business because you sound like you're a very smart woman and could make a go of anything. But I think it's the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah, yeah. the timing. It, it was like the first instinct was either she's got to plow forward with this business uh, or not uh, do it. But how do you tell someone to stop give their up? job? Well, you know it's what? It's not I about giving up. There's no shame in giving up on something when it's at the wrong time. Mm-hmm. I find the people with the least amount of courage who have started businesses just can't quit even five years after they have no business. It's like there's a shame in quitting. No, no, no. There's no shame in regrouping and coming back. None whatsoever. I failed at my first business. I thought everybody would be ashamed of me. Nobody even remembered. You just need one success later on. That's all people remember. So give yourself a little space. That's all. Yeah. 
it's hard to find a different professional identity after like, you know, 17, 18 years in one field. You'll know it if you give it some space. That's what I believe. And I know this sounds silly because we have to work for money, but you have to do what you love. Right. And have the space Because you can have all the money in the world and be unhappy. It's not worth it. Amelia, I have to congratulate you on being halfway there to what's going to make you happy because you were wise enough to quit your job in that well-paid, high-pressured position you had. You were smart enough to listen to your intuition and quit it. I say listen to your same intuition and put your business on hold so that you have space to get over the emotionally most draining portion of your life. You could come back later and start all over again or pick up where you left off. Yeah. I think you're well on your path, Amelia. Good luck to you. Thanks very much for calling in. Bye, Bye, Amelia. Thank you. Bye. Hi, Barbara. I'm calling from New York City. I'm a single mom. My husband passed away in, uh, I guess, about 12 years ago. I have two daughters in college, and my question is twofold. One is I am using all my energy, and it comes naturally to motivate and excite my two girls and to inspire them to try to reach their dreams through college and what career they might choose. In the meantime, I'm finding myself in a very odd spot. I can't muster up my own motivation. I work on a trading floor. I'm surrounded by (laughs) know-it-alls 12 hours a day, and I feel like I'm losing my mojo. I'm not sure what's going on. I just, I need to get it back quick and forever. Thank you. I appreciate uh, you listening. You have a lovely voice, Noreen. Oh, (laughs) thank you. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing fine. And I also have Teresa Caputo here, who's going to also answer your question. This is such a treat for me and a shot in the arm from my usual day. I can't even tell you. (laughs) So your question is all about mustering up your own motivation, right? Are you working on the trading floor now, 12 hours a day as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And you feel like you're losing your mojo. Yes. And you just need to get it back, not only quick, but you want to get it back forever, you said. Exactly. So I'm trying to figure out what I can do or tell myself or something that I can do internally, externally to try to maintain that energy and my motivation to try to, you know, reach my potential, but have a hell of fun time getting there. I don't know how else to explain it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to suggest right off the bat that I don't think you're losing your mojo at all. I think you've lost interest in what you did. I think it's your intuition that is speaking to you saying you need to make a change. Generally, when you're very successful in what you do and you're plugging away and everything is coming up like the day before and things are fine. And then all of a sudden you feel like you run out of gas Uh, I usually always feel it's your intuition shouting for attention, saying something's got to change, something's got to change. And when you work against that and try to like muster up, I've done this so much, I can do this, I can do it. You can't uh, manufacture a fake emotion. You know what I mean? You might mentally get there, but you can't really put it on call, give myself the energy and attitude. You're working against yourself because you're ignoring your tuition. Have you thought about doing something else that could renew you and give you more excitement, motivation, and satisfaction in your work? That's generally where most of the solutions lie. It's funny you say that because I try not to premeditate too many thoughts and just let the conversation go. Mm -hmm. But I was wondering if I was just plain bored. 
Bored and motivation are on opposite ends of the spectrum, as you well know, right? Yeah. Well, you've done it how many years? Oh, gosh. I've been doing this basically since I graduated from college. And you've gotten it down, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Actually, just as an example, yesterday, I was saying to someone, I'm like, God, this market is so boring. And then, Mm. of course, last night's activity shook me right out of that. You know, I kind of reached these little low points. And I'm like, oh, if anything could just happen. And then that happened. And I said, oh, God, you know be careful what you wish for type thing. Mm. But still, even though you've had an abrupt change last night that jazzes things up, so to speak, you still feel the heavy weight lifting again today. Like, uh, you know. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a constant, I mean, 12 hours. Okay, maybe it's 10 hours, not exactly 12. But when you're around like people and the energy that you're getting top ticked at any moment. <laughs> like, mm, it's the nature of the beast you're working. Yeah. Exactly. Smarter, younger, more aggressive and more to prove. Yeah, exactly. That's my belief that you need to make a change. But before I go there, I just want to ask Teresa how she's reading this. Did your husband pass sudden? Even if they were ill, we weren't expecting them to depart at that time. And we really never thought it was going to happen. True. Okay. That would be true. What I wrote down uh, before I we even got on the phone with you was that you have always been inspiring. You have done an amazing job with the girls. Mm. And to stop the cycle of holding yourself back and that you were ready for a change. That was the first thing that I wrote down was ready for change. Now, typically when spirit brings up something like this, it's never to tell someone what they should or shouldn't do with their life choices. It's Mm -hmm. your choice. But what is happening now is your emotions are being validated through telephone or podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm not even in the same room as you and I can feel the energy and the emotions of your departed husband. Okay. Were you actually sitting by his bedside at the time of his departure? I was not. I want to explain what he showed me because I want him to explain more why you felt that it was sudden. Why he made me feel the emotion that you were not expecting him to depart. And he showed me the holding of the hands and the whispering of the ear, which is my symbol for that nothing is left unsaid. So if you feel that you wish you had more of a moment or said something more to him, absolutely not. There was nothing left unsaid. What happened with his chest? His chest. Um, I keep feeling like I'm filling up with fluid or something. Well, he passed away from alcoholism, but it was a bit sudden because of the details towards the end get much more medical. I keep feeling this physical thing of where I feel like I'm bloating up and I'm filling up with something. Yeah, he did have that, yes. Okay, so that is just a validation of saying... I don't want you to feel or think that I ever could be or would be disappointed in you, especially if you do decide to take a different change in your life. And more importantly, start to put your needs first. Okay. Did the girls get a scholarship? or you, I wish. <laughs> was there a talk about something about funding or something about a scholarship? No, no. They're both in college, but no. Okay. So did they receive anything, any type of funding? No. Okay. So there has to be something. He put me at a podium and handed me an envelope. So that's typically my symbol for where there was some type of funding or something done in memory of someone. So 
Okay, he said yes, so I might not be interpreting it correctly. I'm going to ask him to give it to me differently. So what happened at one of the girls' graduations? Um, Was that like a special honor or something? He might be trying to acknowledge about how you are always inspiring and encouraging to the girls and a great role model for them. Thank you. I appreciate that. That was one thing that you always did. You always stood by everyone and anyone, and you always gave them the benefit of the doubt. Fair enough? Yes. And he says, and I want to thank you for never leaving my side. Thank you. You understand that? Yes. And he says, and I know how hard it was for you to talk about my death. Yeah, that would be true. Because I said to him, why do you keep putting me at a podium? He looked at me and I felt there was something else that he needed to say to you. He showed me my privacy sign. So I will be a little vague if that's okay. Sure. Fair. So he says, I want to thank you for the way that you've handled me, my memory, and who I am with dignity. Thank you. That was a a big focus for me. Okay. I want to thank you for that and that it's time for you to change for yourself. And that's where I come in. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Could you afford to leave your position now with your girls in college? I I don't mean make the same amount of money, afford to make a change. Or is it that every dollar that's coming in, you have targeted and you can't afford to lose any of those dollars? I probably could make a change. It's not like I'm paycheck to paycheck type thing. What would stand in your way other than not knowing what you want to change to? What are the obstacles that would make you pause? You know, if I was thinking about actually doing that, like putting myself in that position, it would just be more about a security issue, Mm -hmm. just making sure that everything would be on track and would I succeed, et cetera, et cetera. What would be the worst that could happen? Paint that picture for me here. The worst that could happen? Would your kids have to leave college? They wouldn't have the tuition, let's just say. No, I think I'd be fine on that. The worst that would happen is I would, you know, maybe live in a a different apartment and maybe travel a little bit less. If I didn't succeed at something I was aiming towards, I'd probably have to think of something else. I've always wanted to write a book. I know that. Book about what? I'm curious. I've always wanted to write a book. Um, I have a title actually. (laughs) Good. It's the hardest part of book writing, honestly. It was Growing Up Griffin and I really wanted it to be more uh, dedicated uh, I was very, very close to both my parents, um, my, but my father, and he was such an unusual character. I, there's no other way to say it. He was bigger than life and whatnot. <laughs> I would love to talk about that. It gets a little more complicated. That's kind of what I would like to talk about, and it would be really, really funny. <laughs> Let's just say for a minute you took a year off and wrote that book. Yep. If you wanted to get a similar position back again, could you find one? Probably. Uh And so the security you mentioned first off on the list of obstacles, you know, financially, it doesn't sound that valid because you could afford to keep your kids in college. You'd get a smaller apartment. Yeah. But that's about the end of it. That's all that would happen financially to you. I think so. I mean, finding another job similar. If you decided to. Yeah. After you wrote the book. Yeah. I think I've done this long enough that, you know, I could maybe take a lesser role someplace that needed my type of experience. Can't guarantee it would be there. I think it's above a rather 70% shot that I would be okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know what I think uh, myself, uh, and it's easy for me to dole out advice because I'm not doing it, but one thing you've done with your children all along 
is that you've taught them the power of a single mom to love and support them and do it all alone. You've taught them consistency. You've taught them hard work. And you've taught it not by any words you may have shared with them, but you taught it by example. And you know, to this day, I can pick out a child of a powerful single mom in a crowd because they always have more self-confidence and do better in life than many of the children who have two loving parents. I don't know why that is. I can't explain it. I suspect your two girls are totally capable of making a great life for themselves. They're taken care of already. Mm -hmm. They're done. They're put out there. They're on their way. Now you have an opportunity to teach them one last lesson by example, and that is to teach them the courage to make a life change. And they will remember that forever. I say you have to go out and write the book. You have to take a year off. And if you decide you want that same or similar position back, I'm sure you're going to get it. Because when you think of leaving something, you're always not sure if you could ever get it back. But the minute you leave it, you find out people come knocking on your door. The real question is, will you ever really want that position back? I doubt it. But maybe you'll do something Mm. related or maybe you'll become an author for a living. Who knows? Mm. But to miss that opportunity would be so sad. And to miss the opportunity to teach your kids the new lesson, not only that hard work and dedication and loyalty pays off, but courage is needed in life too to make a change. So I couldn't imagine why you wouldn't give your letter of resignation. <laughs> I might go out there and do it right oh, now. Oh God, you'd have me cheering at the gates of Wall Street saying, go for it, Noreen, go, 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 go. You know, the interesting thing is, is when I say something from spirit and then hearing you talk to her after that, mm. he had me write scholarship down. Their children, they're okay. Oh, you mean so scholarship, has, meaning they're taken care of. Don't yeah, worry. That it's taken yeah. care of. And it's, a, it's also showing individuality for her being able to stand up and say, this isn't working for you anymore. Yeah. This served me my purpose of where I got to be. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to move on. I'm going to move forward. Well, Noreen, I think you've gotten the best advice from each of us. Thank you. The challenge here is give yourself the advice to move on it quickly. Don't ignore your intuition. And even your deceased husband weighed in on this one, which is a new for me, a new experience for me here. (laughs) Yeah, and and for me too. But if you don't mind me interrupting again, I'm very curious. Would somebody do something like flip a coin or do rock, paper, scissors? I was trying not to channel, but I kept seeing things. And I I don't have meanings for this. I kept seeing like someone flipping a coin and then rock, paper, scissors. So would somebody do that? He was big on that. Who? (laughs) Who? Perfect. Just wanted to validate that I was channeling on a podcast. (laughs) Freaking rock, paper, scissors. Rock, paper, scissors. Holy crap, Teresa. How did that rock, paper, scissors come into your head? I just kept seeing a flipping of a coin and I heard rock, paper, scissors, rock, paper, scissors. So it was almost like a code from her deceased husband. Would I be right in saying that, that this is true? I'm really speaking to you, honey. Listen up. Yeah. Like, wow. Because look, think about it. Anyone can say to her, you're a great role model for your children, even mm-hmm. things that you've said. So I always ask for those little validations to you know, give her the encouragement that she needs to do what's best for her. Like, look, this doesn't mean you march out there right now and gosh darn it, I have Barbara's support and putting in my resignation. It's a validation of your emotions, of what you're feeling and you know what you need for yourself. You're the only one that knows what your soul needs. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just nice to get that little encouragement from Barbara and sometimes from spirit on the other side. Listen, Noreen, you. you could get all the encouragement you want from me. 
But that doesn't measure up to hearing about that rock, paper, scissor validation. I'm resigning from my podcast as of this afternoon, and Teresa's taking it over. Nice. Thank you. Noreen, I, I wish you the best of luck. I have no doubt you're going to be a success in your next venture. No doubt at all in my mind. And I'm not hearing from spirits. It's just my own intuition on working with a lot of people in business. So okay, you got it on both so ends. Okay. I uh, really appreciate you both taking right. my call, listening to me, and of course your advice. Okay, so Noreen. Good, good luck to you. Bye-bye. Good luck to okay, you, Noreen. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that's all the questions we have time for today. I hope you found the advice helpful. Think I got it right? Think I got it wrong? Have an idea for a great guest? Come on, give it to me. Tweet me at Barbara Corcoran using the hashtag 888Barbara. And keep those questions coming into the 888Barbara hotline. You can subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't be coy. Leave a review for the show at Apple Podcasts and keep the party going on. We'll see you next time. 888 Barber is produced by Sandy Smolens for Audiation. And Lila Mann is our executive producer. Audiation.